In both of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we have an encounter that Jesus makes with uh, a wealthy, probably very religious young man. We have called him the rich young ruler. He has become known as the rich young ruler, but we don't know that he was a ruler of anything. But we consider him to be somewhat religious just simply because of the nature of his question. In Luke's version, in Luke 18, he approaches Jesus and asks, What must I do to receive eternal life? This was a simple question for a Jewish follower, for a Pharisee or a religious leader. They, they put their faith and their hope in their actions. So he really already knew the answer. It, it, matter of fact, it probably wasn't as much a question as much as he was just trying to impress Jesus and those that were around. Uh, it, was, it was more of a pharisaical question to try to let other people see that he was more religious than they probably thought or just to show off. I mean, if you've ever been in a classroom and Uh, had somebody that would ask questions that weren't really questions. They were just really a way for the student to try to impress the teacher with how much they knew. Have you ever been in those kind of situations? And they start asking the question, you're like, this isn't a question. They just want to show off, right? Well, that's kind of what this rich young ruler was doing, kind of trying to show off to Jesus. So he comes up to him and he says, listen, uh, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus gives him the pat answer. He says, well, you know the commands. Don't lie, don't steal, don't murder, don't bear false witness, have no other God before your God. And the rich young ruler quickly, or this young man quickly responded with, okay, I've done all of that. Now, you can tell by his answer that he probably just broke the do not bear false witness uh, because he hadn't done all of that. Nobody has done all of that. But he said, I've done all that. From the time I was a little boy, I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus said, well, then there's one thing else that you need to do. You need to get everything that you have and sell it. And then give whatever you receive to those who are poor and then come follow me. Now, it seems like a pretty harsh indictment. Seems like it's a pretty harsh calling. You know, and and it's almost exactly the same advice that Jesus has been giving us in Matthew chapter 6. He's been telling us to invest, to, to use our time, talent, and treasure. Store up your treasures where they last. And so basically he's, he's telling, he's encouraging this young man to do the very same thing. But in a different sort of way. You see, Jesus is not really giving this as advice as much as he's giving it as a command. See, it's not a suggestion as it is in Matthew chapter 5. You see, he calls us and says, I would encourage you. Matter of fact, two weeks ago, we called the message Insider Trading on Eternal uh, Investments because it's really advice for the believer. It will save you a lot of trouble. It will help you grow if you learn to invest in things that are eternal instead of things that are temporary. If you learn to spend your time investing in people, spend your treasure and your talent, investing in ministry, investing in things that are going to last for eternity, it will really change your life. But here... It's in a different tone. Jesus is not suggesting. Jesus is commanding this young man. He's looking at this young man and saying, listen, if you want eternal life, if you want what you seek, before you can have it, you've got to sell everything that you have and give what you receive to those in need. That was more than the rich young ruler could bear, this young man could bear. Both versions tell us that he walked away sadly, rejecting Jesus' call. So the question that bothers me is, is why the difference? 
Why does he call out this young man that is just coming to seek answers and, and command him to do something that, that in our version and in our translations and in our passage, he's not commanding us to do. He's simply suggesting it. Well, what I want to suggest to you this morning is, is the issue is not that the rich young ruler had stuff. It's not that he had money. It's not that he was, have, he was rich. You know, the Bible, regardless of what you may have heard, does not condemn being rich. It doesn't condemn having things. So he's not in trouble because he has stuff. You see, the problem with the rich young ruler, the problem Jesus identified when he heard his answer was not that he had stuff, it's that his stuff had him. You see, Jesus began to understand and looking and listening to the answer that the rich young man gave is that he had spent his life investing in things to the point that he no longer had investments, but rather his investments had him, that they now controlled him. And as long as he wasn't willing to let go of those things that controlled him, then God could never control him. And that is the heart of the theme of the passage we're going to read this morning. It's the heartbeat of what Jesus has been trying to get across to us these last three weeks. And I would encourage you, if you haven't called up, if you haven't been here, go to our website and to our podcast page and listen. You can kind of catch up and follow along with where we are. But what Jesus is trying to get at this morning is exactly what he shared with the rich young ruler. And it's the same question that he asked us. Do you have possessions or do your possessions have you? If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And as I said, we've already looked at two passages in this little pericope, this little study that Jesus has given in, in the beginning of Matthew chapter 6. And, and uh, I want to go back and read those two sections that we've already covered to kind of give us context because it's very important to understand that verse 24, which is in your order of worship, it's not just drawing a conclusion from what we've been studying, but it's also setting up as a transitionary statement that's setting up the the chapter. It's setting up what we're going to study in the next couple of weeks. And so it's important to understand the context of how Jesus got there. So I'm going to start in verse 19. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. And we change that, that word store up into invest. Do not invest treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but invest up for yourself treasures in heaven, eternal treasures where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in. Now, we took it and said treasure was more than money. Some people say, well, he's just talking about your money. It's much deeper, much more than money. He's talking about our time and our talent and, and our treasure. Everything that we have, all that we spend our time on, all that we use our talents for and our gifts for, and all the things that God gives us and blesses us with. He says, use those things to invest in things that count for eternity. And the Bible tells us only two things are going to last forever. The Word of God, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God shall stand forever, and the souls of man. So if those are the only two things that are going to last for eternity, then we should be investing in those two things. We should be investing in those in need, those who are hurting, investing in ministries that are reaching people around the world for the cause of Christ. We shouldn't be investing our gifts and helping to disciple and train and teach and lead so people's lives could be touched for eternity. We should be investing our time in things that one day will count for something instead of all the time that we waste on things that count for nothing and will be left behind when we leave. He says, for where your investments are, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, what he was saying is, no matter what you think you've convinced the world of, 
You can always tell the true nature of a Christian's heart by where they invest their time, talent, and treasure. So you can say that Jesus is the most important thing in your life, but if your investments don't say that, then it's not a reality. And then last week, he took not just the corruption of the heart, but then he went to the corruption of our eyes. He said, for the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, what he's saying is when you begin to invest in things, it captures your gaze. That is where your eyesight begins to be trained. If you invest in temporary things, then your eyes will be trained to see temporary things. It's like a stockbroker that knows what to look for. You and I, we may look at a, a stock sheet. We may look at, uh, you know, the Dow Jones and begin to look at the, the stocks and their ups and their downs, and we have no clue what we're looking at. Whereas someone who has trained their eye can look at that very same thing and see exactly trends that are going on and know exactly where to invest. Why? Because they've trained their eye to look for it. And what Jesus says is when we train our eye to see temporary things, then that's all we will see. And the more we train our eye to see temporary things, the less we will see eternal things. That's why so many believers never see God moving in their midst. They don't see the miracles that are happening all around them. They don't see God putting things together and opening doors and working things out for them because their eyesight is not trained on that because that's eternal. Their eyesight is trained on the, the temporary things, the here, the now, the me, the things that bring me pleasure, the things that I want. You see, what he wants us to understand is that your eyesight is always a result of the nature of your heart. And then he draws it together here in verse 24, which is a verse you've probably heard before. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. For you cannot serve both God and money. You see, Jesus takes his first two discussions to its natural conclusion. What he says is, is that when you invest the most, whatever you're investing in, it captures your heart. It captures your gaze, and whether you believe it or not, it will begin to control you. It begins to shape you, and over time, you become enslaved to it. It begins to influence who you trust and what you trust and how you trust, and it influences your faith. You see, if you spend all your time investing in the things that are temporary and investing in the things of the world, before you know it, like the rich young ruler, they won't be your investments, you will be their investment. They begin to control you, and once they begin to control you, they control how much you trust and how much you put your faith in everything else. Because you see, once they become your master, Jesus says, listen, once you begin to pour your time, treasure, and talent into things that are temporary, and once that's all you can see, and you become so focused on it, you may not realize it, but that thing has become the master of your life. You are now enslaved to it. Whether you think so or not, it controls you. It is where you put your trust. It is where you put your faith. It is where you put your hope. Now we can come to church and we can sing songs about hope and trust and faith and God and how much he makes a difference. But in our day-to-day -day walk, we say something different. And Jesus says it reveals itself to each one of us. That's how we can understand this request that Jesus was making to the rich young ruler was really a way to reveal his heart. 
really a way to get down to the root of the issue. And the root of the issue was he was enslaved to his money and to his things. His hope, his trust, his faith was in those things. And as long as it was in those things, he could never be God's. You see, Jesus uses the word here, uh, master and serve, to indicate the idea of what we might think of as slavery. Really, the word is a bondservant. Now, Jesus isn't trying to encourage the practice or advocating the practice. He's painting a word picture, something that they were very familiar with because slavery was a reality in Jesus' day. Yeah, those that were coming from conquered lands that had been conquered by the Roman Empire, and they would bring them back enslaved. They also had slaves that were purchased, slaves that were purchased from, from Egypt, slaves that were purchased from Africa, slaves that were purchased from Asia and brought in to serve. But probably the greatest majority of slaves were what we would call bond servants, the Greek word doulos. It, it, we think of it as an indentured servant. When someone who was poor couldn't afford to take care of their kids, the only hope for them to have an education was they would indenture them to someone else. And that person would become their master and he would become basically a slave while you were working it off and there came a time when you would gain your freedom for the amount of time that you were bonded to, you were a slave. And so Jesus wants to paint this picture for the people that are listening to say, you understand that you can't be a slave to two people. Slavery is a a reality for these people and there is only one master in your life. There's only one person that can be in charge. You see, he's trying to help us understand that whether we understand it or the reality or not, that every one of us in this room serves someone or something. See, all of us serve something. We all serve someone. I remember a picture of a guy that was, had one of those sandwich boards, and he was walking through downtown Chicago, and on the front it said in big letters, I'm a fool for Jesus. And everybody was kind of laughing and looking at his sandwich board as he walked, but when he turned by, the back revealed an even more pointed message. It said, whose fool are you? Because you see, Jesus wants us to understand that the reality of our lives is you will serve someone. You will serve something. And God is trying to help us realize that for Him, if you choose to serve Him, if you choose to let Him be Lord of your life, if you choose to let the Holy Spirit be in control of your life, there is no room for any other master. Jesus is trying to get to the point of understanding what Isaiah said in Isaiah 42.8 when He said God is holy and He alone will not share His glory with anything else. You see, if Jesus Christ is your master, then you are a slave to Him and Him alone. God doesn't share His glory. God doesn't share His throne. God doesn't share Him being in charge of your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says you can't have it both ways. You can't be the property of two people. The word He uses in Greek just insinuates that it's absolutely impossible. There is no way. So what happens? If we can't be the, the, the slave or the servant of two people, if, if we have only one master and we come to church and say that God is our master and that God is in charge and that we trust and put our faith in God through Jesus Christ, but yet everything that we do, invest in time and our treasure, all of those things are in something else, then what happens to the throne of our heart? Well, if God won't share, God won't stay. 
That doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It doesn't mean he goes away. It means you lose his voice and you lose his influence. And you lose his power. And when you lose his voice and his influence and his power, you lose your peace and your joy and your worship. See, he's saying that there is only one throne, and that throne is for God to sit on. And either God sits on the throne of your heart, and he controls you through the Holy Spirit, or something else does. And for most of us, the something else is self. I've been telling you a couple of weeks, there's a battle going on in your heart for control. It's between the Spirit, and it's between that old nature, yourself. What you want, what you think, what you wish for. And it, and it battles. And the self exhibits itself several ways. There are several ways that we wouldn't say, well, self sits on the throne of my heart. But there are other things that sit on. Some people, it's power. See, some people serve power. Everything they do in their life is to get ahead, to be in charge, to control things. And so all of their time, treasure, and talent is invested in ways that they could be put in charge, that they could get more power so that they could get more control. For some of you, your, your throne sits popularity. It's this idea of wanting to be accepted. It's the idea of wanting to be liked. It's the idea of wanting to be thought well of. The idea to be known. It's what the Pharisees struggled with. That was who was center of their heart. It's what Jesus kept pointing out to them. He said, listen, when you come pray, you're not praying to me. You're praying to be seen. You want people to think you're spiritual. And for many believers, they invest all of their time, treasure, and talent in, in being popular being accepted and by doing so all of a sudden popularity or power takes center stage in our hearts for some it's property things that you can tangibly touch things that that are existing in our life material things like houses and cars and property what's the old saying in america he who dies with the most toys wins you don't think we have a property problem a, a things problem do you know what the fastest growing business in the united states of america has been for the last 10 years storage business you ever notice in towns that are growing what's one of the first things they put up storage units why do they put up storage units because people move into new houses and new communities and they got more stuff than their houses will fit so they got to get a storage unit and some people then get another storage unit. And we don't even look at the stuff we move from storage unit to storage unit. We just know it's our stuff, right? And some people, the idea that if more stuff will bring happiness and more stuff will, will make them uh, somehow achieve great goals or, or be something that they're not. And so they try to acquire more stuff. See, some power, popularity, or property sits on their heart. But yet others, it's prosperity. And that's the thing he uses in our, the example he uses in verse 24 when he talks about money. It's the idea of the King James Version, mammon. Mammon doesn't just translate money. It, it translates more as something, money that's put in a bank or put somewhere to be invested in so that you can have faith or hope or trust that it's going to be there when you need it. See, it's not just the cash that you have in your pocket. What he's talking about is how you take that cash and invest it or put it away knowing that it's there when a rainy day comes. And the more that you put it away, the more you put your trust and faith and hope in it. It's not an accident that he uses the capital 
M there for money and mammon because he's using a title. He's not just talking about money in general. He is talking about the God of money. I find it incredibly ironic that in 1956 under President Eisenhower in the midst of the middle of the Cold War and in, in a, in, in, in really in trying to compete with what many people consider godless communism, Congress and Senate and signed into law by the president changed the motto of the United States. Up until 1954, it had been e pluribus unum, out of many one. It's Latin what that means. But in 1956, all of that changed and the national motto of the United States became in God we trust. And the irony of that being the national motto is we put it on every piece of our money. And so in reality, what we've done, and the reason it's ironic, is the one thing that for many people has become their God, we now have the terms, in God we trust. You see, for a majority of us in American culture, the thing that sits on the throne of our heart is much like the rich young ruler. It's to have money, financial wealth, financial prosperity. Financial security. And as I said, there's nothing wrong with money. Jesus never says money is bad. He says it is a root, one of the roots of evil, but it is not evil. It's intangible. It's what we do with the money. See, see, having things, property, wanting to be liked, popularity, trying to have some power, wanting to gain some control, having some prosperity. None of those things in and of themselves are bad. They're not evil. It's what we allow them to do to us that makes them bad. Because once they stop being our possessions and we become their possessions, all of a sudden they take over the place of our heart. The place that we give them is what makes it dangerous. Because you see, once we start being drawn to them, once we start thinking that that is our answer, That being more popular will solve all our problems. Having a bigger house will make us happy. Having more money in the bank will somehow secure our future. When we begin to think that way and all of a sudden we begin to gaze at ways that we can grow those things, we are slippery sliding into control by those things. And over time, we no longer control them. They control us. And whether we want to call it that or not, They become our master. You see, Jesus is warning us that when you try to have two masters, there's always going to be difficulties. See, matter of fact, the end result of trying to have two people sit on the throne of your heart is always one of two things. The first thing is conflict. There's always going to be conflict. That's what he says. You'll love one and hate the other. The two can't coexist in your heart. And that conflict always takes place in our spirit because what happens is the more we invest in temporary things, the more we spend our time, talent, and treasure on power and prosperity and prestige and popularity, all of a sudden we no longer have time for the eternal things. All of a sudden those things, we don't have time for church anymore. We don't have time for ministry anymore. We don't have time to serve. I would love to serve, but I've got all these other commitments. Call them what they are. You've got all these other investments. And you see, conflict begins to happen in our life. And, and all of a sudden, we no longer not only have the time, talent, and treasure to invest in those things, we, we stop giving. 
It's natural. Because all of a sudden in our heart we tell ourselves we don't have it to give. When the reality is we found something else that was more important to give towards. And there's a conflict because you come to church and the Holy Spirit is is convicting you and saying, God is the one who's in control. God is the one who will give you peace. God is the one who secures your future. God is the one who wants to transform you from the inside out. And all week you've been investing in these things and you've been letting it rule your heart. And so conflict breaks out. And the other thing that always results is compromise. Because you see, for most believers... We settle the conflict by trying to convince ourselves that somehow those two things, whatever it is in God, can coexist. We rationalize it out. It's okay if I spend this much time on this and then this much time on God. And so we compartmentalize our Christianity. God gets Sunday, God gets Wednesday, God gets 10%, God gets this, and everything else gets this. But see, compromise is not a word that you'll find in this passage. Because the more time takes place, the less and less time you have for Jesus in eternal things, the more and more time you'll pour into temporary things. Because the flesh always is stronger. Jesus is pretty clear what he tells us about conflict. Jesus lets us know what he thinks about compromise. For conflict, he tells us you'll hate one and and love the other or love one and hate the other. And that always happens. That's why so many people, when they begin to put something else on the throne of their heart, will drop out of church. And they wouldn't say, I hate God. They just don't have time for God. In compromise, Jesus gives us a great example in Revelation chapter 3. He's talking to the, the seven churches in the end times in Asia Minor. And he identifies one of the churches that was struggling with compromise. We know it as the church at Laodicea. He says, I wish that you were hot or I wish that you were cold, but you are neither. God's not in charge. Man's not in charge. You, You compromise. You try to live both. And he says, you are useless for the kingdom of God. And the admonition he gives to the church at Laodicea is, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, which means you have no spiritual purpose. See, what I want you to hear this morning, that if you've convinced yourself that somehow Jesus and other things can sit on the throne of your heart and coexist, God this morning is telling you it's useless. He would rather that you either get Jesus on the throne and be hot or just get Jesus completely off and be honest with where you stand. Because you see what you're doing now, not only does it compromise your witness and compromise your testimony, It weakens the church, it weakens you, and it weakens everything that you have. It robs you of your joy, it robs you of your peace, it robs you of your worship. Walking in compromise, listen, is a dangerous place for a believer. It's a dangerous place for the church. It's joyless, it's powerless, and it leads to nothing more than religious ritual. But not only does he do that, he also, and we'll get into next week talking about it. I said this is a transitionary statement. He says, listen, if you spend all of your time with something else on the throne of your heart, whatever it is, power, prestige, property. He says, when that's the Lord of your life, you will live a life full of worry. And that's the next 10 verses. That whole section there on worry is prefaced on this passage. 
That's why it starts with therefore. Because he says, listen, if you serve two masters, if you try to serve two masters, you will not have any place to place your faith. You'll not have any place to place your trust. And you will worry all the time. I wonder if that describes your life. I know. I'm almost done. I know for most of us here this morning, we consider ourselves committed believers. I mean, right? You, you got out on a snow day. You got out on time change Sunday. I mean, you, you get double red bonus points in heaven, right? On your seating chart today. You're committed. You're here. We'd all like to think this morning that if we were really asked, that we would say we serve Christ alone. But for most of us, the issue is not whether or not we trust and serve Christ. The issue is we trust something else a little more. You see, we convince ourselves that He is the most important thing in our life. But our lives don't show it. A.W. Tozer, who was a pastor and writer, says this, You can tell who you serve by asking what is your most precious treasure. He said, what or who do you value most? What or who would you hate to lose the most? What or who do your thoughts turn to most frequently when you have free time? What or who affords you or gives you the greatest pleasure? Your answer will always reveal your master. Think about that. What about when there's difficulty? What about when you have times of struggle? What about when things don't go the way you want? Who do you turn to? Where do you turn to? Where do you look for answers? Where do you look for help? Where do you look for security? Because you see, our first reaction always reveals the true nature of our heart. Think about the last time something bad happened. Think about the last time things didn't go your way. Think about when you got a bad report or or things didn't work out or the checkbook looked empty. Things were struggling. Where did you turn to? You see, what happens is we do everything else and then God becomes our insurance. God's our fallback. When everything else fails, then what do we do? Then we go seek God.